Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. What is nothing? Yeah, that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? That's deep, bro. That's Deep Bro. I am your host, Christina P. Thank you for downloading this episode. Uh, let's do some business first. I'm touring stand-up comedies, Portland, Oregon, March 30th and 31st at Helium Comedy Club. The first show on Saturday sold out, and it looks like the uh, it looks like it's all going. So uh, get on that if you're going to come, for God's sake. And then April 29th, San Francisco Cobb's Comedy Club, one night, one show only. May 4th, Huntington Beach at the Rec Room Comedy Club. And then May 9th, Oxnard at Levity Live. Levity Live! It's supposed to be a brand new club. I haven't done it yet. I'm excited to uh, to see that. I hear really, really nice things about it all. So, uh, uh, man, that is, what's happening? Okay, what else? Amazon, you doing your shopping? Uh, through Amazon, please use my banner. Go to uh, that's seatpropodcast.com. Click on the banner at the bottom of the homepage to your shopping as you normally would. Uh, just kicks back some change to the show. Oh, Kidoki, huh? Let's get into things. I've been into uh, a Kinks phase. I just love this band. I feel like the Kinks are one of the most underrated. British invasion type bands. They're so good. And and like I read some asshole reviewer on, um, you know, when they have like blurbs about bands, excuse me, on like iTunes. And they're like, well, the Kinks weren't the most original band, but they were, it's like, well, fuck you. You know what? I feel, I feel like they're originals. And I, 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 that's why, why are people still listening to them? If they're not original, I just, I love them. So here's the song. This is a song I grew up listening to. I always liked this one. Let me find it. Okay. Let's see. Let's see if I can do this right today. I'm feeling a little off kilter. Okay, here you go. My sister went there on a Saturday Come dancing All our boyfriends used to come and go Why not come dancing? It's only natural Another Saturday, another date She would be ready but she'd always make him wait In the hallway in anticipation He didn't know the night would end up in frustration He'd end up blowing all his wages for the week Or for a cuddle and a peck on the cheek Come dancing That's how they did it when I was just a kid And when they said come dancing My sister always did Song, it's so cute. Mm-hmm. 
This is one of those songs on MTV back in the 80s they had a great video for. I don't know if it's great by today's standards, but um, I just loved the Kinks because they had such a good sense of humor. I think even as a kid, I, I really appreciate, I appreciated bands that uh, weren't so serious. You know, like I remember Prince was so serious. He was like in the bathtub singing when doves cry. Like he always was like, oh, I'm so sexy. But the kinks were like, ah, come dancing. And, and the guy has like a cute little gap in his teeth and they're, you know, they're, they're English and they, uh, it's a cute video. The, the sister goes dancing at the poly. I just love them. I miss, I miss that kind of shit. Remember when uh, bands were actually bands, like just a group of dudes that formed, you know, I started like either teenagers and they're like, I can do this instrument. What do you play? Oh yeah. Okay. Well let's form a band and then maybe one day we can make a living doing this. <laughs> now I'm like, where, where have all the bands gone? Where, 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 where's that feeling of like, Oh, I get this. Oh, I get their background. I know. I feel, I feel the same thing they feel. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, in the meantime, let's see lots going on, you know, God, geez. Uh, I took, uh, fuck, I took the dog, uh, FIFO, to the vet. He's got such bad breath, and we're trying to um, get those chompers cleaned. And, uh, of course, the doctor's like, uh, it's, I love how serious people take pet care now. I mean, it wasn't like that at all growing up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they, they didn't give a shit about animals. But, you know, I care about mine. Yeah, whatever. So I take the, the dog in, and this vet is like one of those ultra vets who she takes way too long. Like, I don't need to hear, you know, when like you ask them a question, like, uh, how are the anal glands on the Well, you know, traditionally the dogs used anal glands to mark their territory, uh, back in the wild, but now they don't need, that's like, uh, Hey, 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 I don't need a fucking dissertation on the utility of the anal glands. I just give me the fucking yes. No, do I, is this going to cost me anything? You know, it's like they—it's like—it's like like they've key—they've dialed into the fact that we're a bunch of suckers who are so emotionally invested in our animals that we are—you know—we treat them like humans, and uh, and she knows that she fucking knows that, so she's just really putting me through the ringer with the with the uh, 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 lab results. I get emails daily. FIFO's lab results came in and his parvo vaccine. I was like, I don't fucking care. Why don't you call me when something's wrong? And then tell me the number, let me get angry, and then let me pay you to fix my dog. So my favorite is uh, FIFO has to go see a, are you ready for this? Uh, a cardiac specialist. <laughs> uh, but this is a problem we addressed like a year ago and I never addressed it because I was like, what? I have a baby. I don't care. Uh, he needs to see a cardiac specialist because he has a heart murmur. Okay. The dog the fucking 12 pound dog has a heart murmur and I have to see if we, well, I don't know, need a heart transplant or, uh, well, what I have to put him in a wheelchair and make sure he doesn't overexert himself from now on. Uh, so there's that. And then she, uh, touches his back muscle, the, the spinal column. She goes, his muscles are very weak. Has he been jumping up and down on furniture? I go, yeah, he's a fucking dog. That's all he does is jump up and down on the furniture. You need to get him dog steps. He has the fucking dog steps, lady. Okay, he's got he's got everything. He's fine. But the kicker was, they're telling me I need to bring in uh, a urine specimen because the one they got from him when he they, I brought him in wasn't pure enough. It wasn't concentrated enough. And uh, <laughs> the the lady calls me, the nurse. She goes, so what we'd like you to do is get um, his first morning specimen. If you could, uh, the morning catch. Is the, is the phrase these lunatics use. If you could just go ahead and uh, get FIFO's morning catch urine, that would be just perfect because then we can really see what's going on in there. <laughs> I go, are you, are you seriously asking me to go outside with my dog? I'm six months pregnant, by the way. Uh, get a cup. I don't, I don't even have the container. You guys have not given me any sort of container. Use one of my own cups, I'm assuming, from my home. Bend over... And wait for my dog to lift his leg and then assume that he's going to be okay with me being that close to his penis when he pees. And I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure some of you can get your dog's morning catch. I, it's like not even a fucking possibility. It's not even something I could even imagine. It's bad enough when they ask you to collect a fecal sample 
Uh, it's demeaning enough. You're like, you guys can't, I don't know, wipe his butt and just get some kind of sample. You need the whole chunk, huh? We need a, we need a fresh. It's my favorite too. And they demand freshness, right? Like Burger King. So yeah, I'm like, I, I'm not getting his first catch urine. I, I just, I, I flatly refused to participate in this culture uh, that treats dogs like people. They're really, really, uh, and I don't mind because I look. I love my dogs as I do my chill, my child. But uh, there's a limit, okay? Fifo is an older dog, and yes, there are certain maintenance issues that are coming about. But it's like, y- y- yeah, do we really need to? T- he needs the cardiac specialist. Uh, he needs the first catch of your. It, it's too. It's too much, and they know it. They know it. They know it. And they're just they're they're just exploiting this. It's terrible. I, I, it really irritates me. But what am I supposed to fucking do? I want to keep my dog alive, so I got to do all this shit. <sighs> okay. Uh, what else? So I. Uh, oh, let me see. I finished at Versailles. Oh, I love it. I love all these royalty shows. I'm watching the on the French court of Louis. I just love it, and I'm so I'm so into his brother, Prince Philippe who's this uh, just flamboyant, gay, just so pretty. He's got blue eyes and long flowing hair and his lover's a real shithead, you know, and it's just, I'm so, I just love Prince Philippe this season. I'm so into it, Uh, but I finished it. I'm so bummed. I hate when I finish my shows. I got to find something else. Uh, And I was looking at Versailles I'm like, who's writing this stuff? What what cool women are behind this show? Because this is clearly a lady show. No, it's all dudes. All dudes. Writing, show, directing. I'm like, really? It's so surprising when you find that it's like dudes that are uh, invested in the court of Louis of France. Uh, same with Downton Abbey. The, the guy is a man who wrote at Julian Fellows with his horrible bottom row of yellow teeth. That they, these people, dudes, are, are into royalty. It's so funny. It's a, it's a, and they they make it so fun because really it's women watching these shows. I don't think too. I don't think my husband. Every time he comes up and he sees me watching it, he's like, again, again with the Versailles. And it's not it's not Versailles. It's Versailles. Okay, first of all, and yes, I'm invested because revolution is coming, motherfucker. Uh, and I just love it. And. Uh, and also, I got into Beachbody, uh, the show on uh, Netflix too. So you gotta you gotta watch this shit, man. This is for people who live in Australia and New Zealand. Who I guess what's happening is the public healthcare system is in is so bad there um, that they're having people are going to Thailand to get major uh, plastic plastic surgery stuff done. And we know we all know that the, the, the Thai people they the Thai people the Thai doctors. Um, really were pioneers with the whole uh, transitioning surgeries, right? They would turn dudes into girls and I guess dudes into girls, girls into dudes. I think it's harder from, to go from girl, dude. Yeah, I don't even know how they, I kind of know how they do that. I'd like to know more. But um, for my own <laughs> for my own purposes, I really wish I had a penis. No, I don't. But uh, <laughs> anyways, so people are going to Thailand because it's way cheaper and apparently the quality is is good. Um, but I have my doubts. <laughs> I'm watching it just like, Thailand, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I wouldn't even trust... I, like, if I fell off a motorcycle and shattered all my ribs and broke my femur and my head was split open and I was bleeding everywhere... I'd be like, you know what? That's cool. I'll get on a plane. I'll just come home. I'll, I'll risk it. I'll risk the 20-hour the plane flight uh, to see a Western doctor. Thank you very much. Uh, but these people are trusting these doctors who, <laughs> uh, to, you know, cut their vagines, um, cut their breasts, take fatty tissue off their stomachs and arms and face, 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 the face. Oh, the face is very... That's a hard one. You know, you mess that one up, boy. That's, and we've all seen those people that they uh, go overboard with the, the lifts and the tucks and the hoofa, hoofy, hoofa. So, uh, but yeah, apparently they, they do a good job, you know, but then again, they don't have follow up for like a year later when the face is settled and healed, what that looks like. And I think that's really the priority is, you know, show me that face 
uh, in a year after we've taken the stitches out and everything is relaxed again. Let's see what that face looks like and what those boobs look like. But, uh, but yeah, I have a, I think I have a more sympathetic understanding of these people because, you know, look, I'm a, I'm kind of of the spiritual lane of person that is like, just accept whatever, whatever's going on with you physically. It's like, you know, you're not going to be perfect and, uh, and just accept, but I don't know. I've kind of changed my mind cause I'm watching these, uh, excuse me, mostly women and the, some of the men who go for the transitioning surgery and they're just so unhappy before they have these things done. And then afterwards they're, they're just relieved. Um, so I have a different point of view on it. I kind of feel, I kind of feel, I feel so bad. Like there's this one woman from, I believe it was New Zealand or Australia. That, that's where most of these people are from. And uh, she has a prolapsed uterus. So she had five children and her uterus is essentially falling out of her vagina. And I guess she, she's part of the public health care system. I think it's Australia. And she said that, yeah, I'm on a waiting list to have this procedure done. It's about a nine-year wait. <laughs> okay. Like, she's supposed to just live her life with her uterus hanging out of her regime for nine years. That's preposterous. So in her case, I was like, yeah, dude, go fix that shit. Go fix, get your life back. Same with all these poor, you know, women who don't like their boobs or the people who lose a lot of weight and then they have a lot of skin. Yeah, just go go take care of that shit, dude. Don't <sighs> go go get your life that way. You know, if you can fix it, if it's a little thing and it makes you feel better, why the fuck not? Why the fuck not? Why not? You know what I'm saying? Why be miserable the whole, your whole life? Some people, like, I remember my teeth were my big thing growing up. I had such horrible teeth. I had a huge gap and I was, I had an overbite and I was just miserable as a kid. I couldn't wait to get braces. Like, please just fix this. And that's why I'm so obsessed with my teeth now because I fucking hated growing up. People made fun of me all the time. And ugh. so if you can throw some money at the problem, please do. But then, you know, within reason, guys, don't go overboard. Okay, let's get into some emails. Come dancing. I love that. Okay, where's... uh? Here's the theme song. You want to know why you're all fucked up? Oh, uh, I love how it... <laughs> you know what? This is my Apple music is open. Thank you. Oh, hey, speaking of body image stuff, this is nice. Apropos my um, my email. I love this. Hey, Christine. <laughs> I love how you call it Christine. It's Christine or Jean. Uh, she writes, my name is Lucy. And I'm listening to you all the way from clean, green New Zealand of Maze. I've, I've never been to New Zealand. I regret when I was in Australia, I didn't pop down there. I, uh, I hear it's, it's lovely. I've seen pictures. That's lovely. Anyway, she writes out, I want to say hi. I'm the owner of two Griffins. Oh, Stevie and Leroy. Cute. And I'm totally obsessed with them. I may love them more than my two kids. I agree. Uh, Brussels Griffon. That's the that's the breed that I'm obsessed with too. And I hope you're on Instagram, uh, Lucy, so I can look at your dogs because I follow many a griffin on Instagram. Sadly, I follow more Brussels griffon than I do humans because they're just they're just the cutest. I need like ten more griffies. I will get more once my children are uh, are out of the house. I'm gonna be that lady that's got like ten dogs, all the same breed. So she writes, I'm a native New Zealander and met my husband at a ski resort many years ago. We moved back here 10 years ago, and since then, I've had two kids and started two businesses. Our life is busy, but totally rewarding and fulfilling. My issue is that I can't stop thinking about my body, how much I hate it, and how I wish I was I was rail thin. After I had my daughter, I lost a lot of weight. My hormones were all over the place, and my period stopped. I loved my body then, but now I hate it. Even though I'm only about 15 pounds heavier than the 100 pounds I was, I can't stop wishing and wanting that body back. It totally sucks. How did I stop feeling this way? Quick background, parents divorced when I was 13. Mom moved in, uh, moved in a guy who was 20 years older than she was. Oof. Dad was screwing everything with legs, and at 42, he was dating a 21-year-old. Uh-huh. She was only three years older than me. Instead of 
a custody battle over the kids. It felt more like my parents were fighting to not have the kids and instead live their own lives without us. My mom's second husband bought my sister and I a house and at 18, I was left to raise my 15-year-old sister. I hated it, and she hated me. She's since been anorexic, bulimic, exercise obsessed, and takes restrictive eating to a whole new level. Gah, so much more drama, but I love to know how to reframe these negative feelings I have about my body. I try to tell myself my body is wonderful. I've cre- created and birthed two kids, and I'm healthy and strong, but it's a daily struggle to not want to be skinnier. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Lucy, my love. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I think, I think so many women deal with body, body stuff. It's like, uh, it's just, it's so, it's such a bummer. It's just such a bummer. <laughs> it's a, let's start there. It, yeah, I get it. I get it. And once you have kids, it's like, phew, wait, who is that in the mirror? Like, you don't, I don't even recognize my body before I had Ellis. And as right now it's, you know, it's pregnant, but goddamn. After I had my son, I was like, where, where did my boobs go? They used to be somewhere up here and now they're, they're here down there and they've changed colors and they they look nothing like the, the boobs I had. Um, I, anyway, I, you know, I, I, when I'm reading this, I just thought about, you said your sister has been anorexic, bulimic and exercise obsessed. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I've not had that particular issue yet. <laughs> Who knows? The, the night is young. Ah, uh, but from what I understand, eating stuff is a form of control, right? It's, it's all kind of a means to control that which is uncontrollable anxiety or kind of dealing with the anxiety of whatever it is. I'm not a licensed therapist if I mention that. <laughs> um, but from what I gather, these are mechanisms to handle the anxiety we feel about some other issue in our life. So I'm not, I don't know if that's what's going on with you. It sounds like your life is pretty busy and, and you do have a lot of shit going on. Uh, I don't know what the obsession's about with you. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you've had an eating disorder in the past. That might be something to explore with a therapist. Um, and I don't know how pervasive um, these thoughts are and persistent these thoughts are and how much you hate them. You're saying every day you have, you, you can't stop wishing uh, you want your body back. <clears throat> well, I don't know if you'll stop feeling this way. I think we all want to stop feeling the thing that's bothering us. Um, and I don't know that you'll ever stop looking back. Uh, I just think it does get easier as a mom. I think that, I mean, let's try to get philosophical on this. It's like, uh, you know, you've, you've, you've entered the gateway into another another life, right? Another chapter of your life, your mom. And nothing is the same. Nothing, nothing can ever be as it was before. And part of that, uh, part of the, you know, how do I put this? The, the price of admission into this new world, unfortunately, is your body kind of getting fakakta, dude. It's just kind of the, uh, it's the price that you pay for having these amazing kids that are like gorgeous and, and laugh and smile and make your day a harder, but then b simultaneously, like it's the most amazing thing ever. Right. Like they annoy the shit out of you all day. And then you're like, I love you. I love you so much. You annoy the shit out of me. I love you so much. Uh, so it's just the price of admission. I think we all know that. And the reframing, I mean, I guess is like, uh, is that, you know, when you feel like I wish I could be who I was, you're like, yeah, but, uh, okay, look, put it this way. I may have had nicer boobs. I may have had thinner thighs. I may have been able to sleep in until 11 and go to brunch on a Sunday. And all that goes with that life. (laughs) And this life is really different, right? I'm up at seven, but I've got this uh, adorable kid and the price of these sagging titties and these jelly thighs. Uh, and I don't know, is your husband cool with your bod? Is someone putting pressure on you to be who you were other than yourself? I, I mean, if that's the case, then that really blows too. I mean, I'm lucky enough that my husband's never shamed me about my mom bod. <laughs> um, but also there's stuff you can do, Lucy. Hey, you're in New Zealand. Why not pop over to Thailand and get your <laughs> your whole face and body restructured. No, I don't know. But if there's something specifically that you're just like fixating on and, and you can throw a little bit of cash at to improve, uh, why not? 
if that brings you happiness, maybe that'll help. I, I don't know. Is it just losing 15 pounds? Oh, you can do that. You can do that. Uh, but yeah, you know, acceptance, dude, it's all, it is really ultimately about surrendering to the whole process. And, uh, you know, and I, does this sound like a really stupid thought, but like, I always think too, cause I, I had great, I had a bod until I was about 38. <laughs> so I always think like, you know what? I had 38 good years with my pre-baby body and that was a good run. That's like a really good run. And now I'm going to, you know, ride or die the last whatever I'm going to live in this new vessel. And really, when you think about it, we're always decaying anyways. Does it really fucking matter? Because you're just going to, you know, you're, you're, you're decomposing every second. You're, uh, you know, you're an organic life form. That's what you're born to do is, is decompose. So, but I do remember in my 30s kind of going through um, more of a thing about it. I've like totally accepted aging now, but I think in my thirties I was like, Oh my God, I'm losing my looks. Like I remember I saw my first wrinkle when I was 28 in the, in the mirror when I was in my car and I had like a moment of like, Oh my God, I'm getting old now. Like this is crazy. What am I going to do? And you're like, well, the trade-off is I'm still alive and I'm really healthy and um, I'm blessed enough to be in my car with a wrinkle (laughs) A lot of people don't get to live this long. So, you know, the package is, uh, it's never perfect. You know when the package is perfect? When you're 20. 23. I would say I looked my best at like 23 when I was so thin. Oh, just so skinny. When people are like, oh, you're so skinny. And I'd be like, oh, I know. It's so hard. I don't even know how to gain weight. <laughs> uh, you know? That's that is for the young people, man. And you, uh, you just look at them and you enjoy how beautiful youth is because it really is it's so special in that it's so fleeting. And it, I think that's why they can market it to you so well with cosmetics and um, you know skin creams and everything. Everything's based on trying to keep you twenty years old, in theory. Um, but it's such a finite period. You really, you really, you really spend more of your life older than you do younger. Right, you have like until about thirty, right, and then it starts the, the ship starts falling apart. Forty, it really falls off the rails. But thirty, up until let's say thirty, you're just perfect. You know what I mean? Twenty, you're like a goddess, right? Oh my god, oh my god, and and society really validates that shit. And there's you know, uh, there's the entire it's an entire industry built around keeping you in that bullshit of like, just be 20 forever, 21, right? The fucking store forever 21. And you see old bitches like me, I won't actually go into forever 21 anymore. I'm I'm too embarrassed at this point. When you're double the age of forever 21, you shouldn't shop there. Okay. It's not even normal. So no, I, I don't go there, but, um, but right. The idea of being forever 21, because that's, that is really when you look amazed. And they, everybody knows that. And the reason it's so special is because it's fleeting, because it's, it's just, it's, it's transitory, man. It's a, it's a, it's just a place in time. And I always aspire to look good for my age. I think that's a really good, um, guideline for, for me anyways. Like, Hey, I'm not trying to look 20 or 30. I'm just trying to look really good for 41 because uh, I'm not, I don't think I'm fooling anybody. I'm very open about my age and who I am and what I like. I I don't. I have no delusion that I'm like trying to, to fool. Because you're never fooling. By the way, I know these bitches are fucking older. Uh, who are have their faces? They're so shiny and pulled back. It's like you either look you're kind of your age, or you just look super shiny and pulled back, and it's never cute. Um, and I will say that like. I know this is so cliche and so it's just ridiculous to say, but I find that the sexiest thing in any human is to own the vessel you're in. Whatever, whatever dings it's got on there, man. I mean, look at the set. Look at Prince. I brought him up earlier. What was he? Four foot nine. He wore high heels. He was a tiny wisp of a man. Prince was not a masculine guy. Yet he sold us the myth that he was a hot, sexy dude that we should all want to bang. How? How did he do that? Was he better looking than, you know, Channing Tatum or 
Ryan Gosling, whoever, what, whoever the it boy is right now. Like, no, no. In fact, he, you know, he was a fake, slight little, little dude, but it was the attitude. It was how he carried himself. And, and it was this energy of like, I'm so comfortable in this skin. It doesn't matter. And I got to tell you too, that most people are not looking at your flaws as deeply as you are. Like that wrinkle I was talking about, I would tell my husband, oh, I got to get both. I got to go Botox this thing. He's like, what, what are you even talking about? I don't even see what you, what you're, what you're talking about. Like most people don't even see the thing that you're fixating on. Uh, cause they're just too wrapped up in their own stuff. So, so there, I mean, haven't you been attracted to people where you're like, I, I don't even like, look at Benicio del Toro. He's one of my favorite actors and he looks like a fucking hot garbage dump. Uh, he, he looks like he just sleeps in a dumpster and is hungover every day of his life. And I can't stop loving him. I fucking love him. I can watch that guy take a shit. I love Benicio Del Toro. Uh, I think he's so handsome and just so grumbly. And Tom Waits, I like that kind of haggard guy. Same with Anthony Bourdain. I mean, he looks like he's been just chewed up every day too and drinking and everything. It doesn't matter. It just, it's like, it's a, it's a persona thing, you know, it's a persona thing, I think. So I don't know, boo. I don't know if you need to see a shrink, if it really is something that is like, really, it could be a manifestation of some other thing. You know, when we get fixated in one area, it's generally not that thing per se, but you're feeling anxiety, especially when it comes to body stuff, um, about something else in another area of your life. And oh, uh, hey, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Hey, let's talk about your background. Um, dad was screwing everything with legs. Folks divorced. And at 42, he was dating a 21 year old. Yeah. Yeah. So in the custody, yeah, all that stuff, by the way, boo boo. That's kind of swirling in the ethers and in the stew that is your, I think, your background and, and how you see yourself. And uh, speaking as somebody who has a brand new um, mommy, my dad, uh, good news, guys. I don't know if you heard on your mom's house. Uh, my father has married. I just heard through my cousin, apparently. <sighs> my father. My father married a... I don't know, 34 year old Vietnamese woman he met online recently. And when I say Vietnamese, I'm not saying like I'm, I'm, she's from, she's from the country. So I'm sure, I'm sure English is fluent. I'm sure she's, uh, anyway, it's love guys. Come on. What's not, what's not real about, uh, you know, a woman half his age from an impoverished village. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure she has real, deep feelings for a 71-year-old Hungarian man who wears socks with sandals, has uh, oppressive dad breath, and wrinkled nuts. I'm sure it's love, right, guys? So look, I got those those issues too. Um, And it is kind of a a weird thing when your father's hypersexual and that's his priority. Cause that is what that is what that is. When your dad screws everything with legs, yes, I I know mine did too. Does too. Did too. Does too. Uh, it kind of screws with you as a woman. Um, there's a lot of weird issues that can come about uh, when you're dealing with that one. That's a good one. That's that's fucking heavy too. Yes, because my father is very judgmental about women's looks, and. Um, that was a, yeah, huge thing. Like, ugh, so disgusted. Well, that one's gross. And you know, like Donald Trump, um, how he, he's always talking about how hot his daughter is. You're like, uh, yuck. Like that's, that's Donald Trump's priority for women is like, just be hot. Like, why aren't you hot? Uh, <laughs> right. Just be hot. Gross. It's so gross when women aren't attractive. So there's, there's that too. I don't know, but yeah, I don't know. Take, see a shrink, dude. Shrink it out. Cause man, 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 man. I got to tell you, for once in my life, I'm really thankful uh, that I'm not talking to my dad because <laughs> I can't, I can't even imagine hosting that Christmas. Oh God. The Christmas thing of like pretending that this is totally normal. It's uh, by the way, and I've hosted many a holiday where he brings over some fucking piece of whatever from wherever, 
whatever the cat dragged in and that's the that's the date and I have to be nice to her because I you know I'm a nice person it's not her fault uh, that she has such a damaged sense of self that she thinks my dad is the salvation but man I can't I can't fake that shit anymore I have them around your kids oh my god could you imagine having my new Vietnamese stepmom around my fucking kids Ugh, I thank god thank god for going no contact you know what I'm saying Okay, um, I like this one. Let's see, let's see. I don't know if I can say this person's name, Lexi. Hi, Mommy. I'm a 22-year-old from the Midwest, and I've been struggling for quite some time with perfectionism slash anxiety. Although I have dealt with depression since I was about 13, my anxiety started shortly after moving in with my boyfriend when I was 19. After about three months of dating, we found out we were expecting our son, Learning how to live on my own and learning how to be a mom at the same time was overwhelming for me. Fast forward to the present. My boyfriend and I are still happily together. We just bought a house. Our son is turning three and I'm going to school part-time to finish my degree as well as working full-time. From the outside looking in, it seems like I've got all my shit together, but my perfectionistic tendencies are really taking a toll on my relationships. I worry constantly about the order of things in my life, and I can't seem to relax ever. Even when on vacation last year, I could not relax at all, and I was zero fun because I was worrying about other things. I told myself, I hold myself to very high standards, and it sucks with all the joy. It sucks all the joy from my life because I am so serious all the time. I also have a bad habit of needing to control everything, which is another problem entirely. These qualities I have also make me frequently irritable. This is not the mother, girlfriend, or person I want to be, and I don't want my son to grow up feeling like he has to try to be perfect. I haven't always been this way. Why am I a dull, boring adult at 22? What do I do? Thanks for reading, Lexi. (laughs) I mean, uh, so this perfectionistic tendency started once you became a mom. I'm assuming it activated some, uh, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe you had it before. Uh, have you heard of alcohol? There's a stuff called wine. And, uh, when you're done with your things in the day, <laughs> you can drink this stuff called wine, like just one glass, two max. And it just loosens you up just a hair so that all this stuff kind of rolls off your back. Uh, <laughs> let's start with that. Lexi. Let's try to loosen things up with a little one. I'm not uh, just a little. Okay. No, I'm not telling. I, I don't, I don't, you know what, by the way, I'm so fucking sick of seeing these internet memes of moms, like drinking gallons of wine and shit. Like, okay, I get it. I, you know, I get it. Ugh. You know, white ladies drink rosé. It's hilarious, but I'm being serious that maybe just a little bit of fun like that can, uh, can that's, that's just on the surface. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, you're a dull, boring adult, to use your words, at 22 because you've got dull, boring adult responsibilities at 22, um, which is a very tough age to do all these adult things that you are doing, you know? Uh, and this is why a lot of us podcasters, a lot of us comedians advocate doing this kind of stuff later in life. If you can, if you can delay it. Might be best to put off the house and the mortgage and the kids until you're grown up a little bit more because your brain isn't even developed yet, right? You're still a teenager. You moved with your boyfriend at 19. So you had your baby at 19 or 20, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're literally a teenager. So your, your brain's not even done forming until you're 28 years old. Okay. Okay. So yeah, of course you're overwhelmed. You took on a lot of responsibility at a really, really delicate young age. When, when truth be told, that's, that's an age that, um, you know, it, it, it's a little, it would be preferable, let's say, to kind of fuck around. That's, that's why a lot of us advocate fucking around, getting into college, you know, those, those, those holding pattern years. Everybody, I, I, people are like, well, what am I going to go to college for? What do I need a degree for? Can't get a job with a degree in English literature. Can't, it's not practical. That's not the point. The point of college, if you can't afford it, 
if you have parents that can help, if you have a scholarship money, whatever, you take out loans, the purpose of college is really to keep you uh, from fucking up your life. It's, it keeps you in a safe environment in some very fragile years, right? The years between high school and life uh, where you do the most damage because your brain is not formed. You're just not capable yet really of making those adult decisions. So it's this wonderful place you go where you read some books, you make out with dudes, you drink, you make some friends, uh, you know, you fuck around and you get a degree in something that ultimately who gives a shit because you'll figure it out once you graduate anyways, blah, blah, blah. It's not that serious, but it's a, it's a nice, safe place to grow up, right? That's why we send our kids to college. That's the truth of it. No one's going to tell you that. Your parents don't want to tell you that because they don't even know. Maybe I don't know. Okay. So you've got, you've, you're not relaxing ever because you're not a grown up yet, boo-boo. And that's not to criticize. I don't mean to criticize. I'm just telling you, I think why what's happening is because you took on so many responsibilities at such a young age. Of course, you're going to be racked with anxiety. You're going to be fucking frazzled. And uh, perfectionism, which is something I struggle with too, of course. I, I, a lot of it comes from, where do you think? Surprise. Shitty parents. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, were you told you're never good enough? Were you criticized constantly? Were you, how, were you uh, parenting your parent as a kid? <laughs> All that stuff comes from feeling not good enough. It's the, the idea that either I'm not good enough or I have to do good so that everyone around me thinks I'm perfect. You have to keep up the charade that every that you're you're spinning all these plates that nobody knows the truth, right? The truth that you you're a fucking anxious mess inside. That you're that you're flawed, that you've got stuff going on, depression, whatever it is. And so we try to hold up everything so that nobody finds out the truth that you're a flawed human being. <laughs> it's horrible. And what happens is you actually set yourself up for failure because nobody can do it right. Nobody's perfect. So it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. We get perfectionistic. We try to do the thing perfectly. You can't do it perfectly. So inevitably you fail. It's like a, it's a catch 22 and it's a system designed to make you feel bad. That's the whole, that's the fun of being a perfectionist. Now, is that, is that to say that it's bad in certain areas? No, I'll tell you where I'm a, a perfectionist in. And I think it's paid off as uh, career stuff my act. I love it. I love it when I get a joke perfectly, perfect, perfect, perfect. And I lock it that way. I love things that I can control. I do control, right? For instance, like I said, my act, I fucking love getting that thing. Perfect. I love it. I just, I get such a hard on when I get 45 perfect minutes, a perfect hour, whatever it is. Every joke has a rhythm. Everything has a beat. There's dings, there's bells. Oh, oh, bang, bang, bang. And that I can't control. So I, I focus it there. Uh, can you control your spouse? Nope. How about that kid? Forget that. That's rule number one of Fight Club, right? <laughs> Being a mom. You can't control shit. You can't control what that kid's going to do, who he's going to be. And the danger with being a perfectionist and having children is that you, some of us can see them as an extension of us, right? So we get really disappointed really disappointed in them when they don't do the thing perfectly. And then they learn to be perfectionists too, right? Or they learn unconsciously that we think they're flawed and then we pass it on. Uh, Okay. So how are you, what are you going to do? What do you think I'm going to tell you? Number one, see a fucking shrink. You've got a lot of stuff going on. You dealt with depression since you were 13. That that's the magic number, by the way, at least I've fucking from my own life and from, uh, that's the magic number when kids start to freak the fuck out because they had childhood stuff that is uh, manifesting as adolescence, right? That's the same age I freaked out. It's the age that most kids start to go off the rails that had uh, childhoods that were dicey and not ideal and need to be dealt with now uh, as adults. And I highly recommend going to see a therapist and getting in there now. The sooner the better. You've got a three-year-old um, get your fucking head right, bro, because this doesn't just go away. Sorry, it's it's really not going to just disappear. In the meantime, you might be able to be medicated. Uh, if it sounds like 
is really crippling you, why not get on fucking Lexapro, whatever, 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 to lift the fog so that you can get the help you need. Now, I don't advocate drugs without therapy because what's the point? So you're just going to stay medicated indefinitely? That's kind of ridiculous. It's unhelpful. Uh, but yeah, I, I would go and see somebody and get professional help. And don't you even come at me with, I can't afford it. I don't have the time. I posted on my website, a spreadsheet of, um, sliding scale therapists in every state in the United States. It is on my website. It's about, I don't know now five posts back. Go look at that and find somebody you can fucking talk to that can help you make sense of what's going on. Cause, uh, you haven't always been this way. No, it's, but it is a kind of a manifestation of stuff of your ghosts of Christmas past, at least from what I've learned. Again, I'm not a fucking therapist, uh, but I will tell you, uh, this shit does not just get better. It doesn't get better. Okay. Oh, here's a nice email that kind of ties in this person. I've, I've just talked to them. I love this. I got this Ukrainian listener, Olga. I addressed one of her, uh, her emails on another episode. I just, <laughs> I love that this has gone international now, you guys. This is great. We got the Ukraine, New Zealand. It's awesome. Okay. Uh, so one of the episodes you discussed swearing in front of kids. I was thinking about it myself lately because I listened to a lot of podcasts, mostly comedy and parenting and mostly women hosted. They all voice their position on cursing. It's funny because being from Ukraine and from Ukrainian and Russian talking environments, I perceive it differently. In English, swearing is like baby talk comparing to Russian profanity. Absolutely. I hate Russian cursing. It is so vulgar and graphic and violent. I've read in a Russian self-help blog that only hypocrites and small town homies don't curse. It rubbed me the wrong way. My parents don't swear. My husband doesn't. I went back in memories and can say the only person I ever liked who cursed was my maternal grandfather who was born in 1912 was in two wars and in prison for seven years in Stalin times, yet was the gentlest man my mom adored. Oh, so it's an exception and a general rule of mine to not like swearing. When I think of other swearing people, I see desperate, angry, drunk, dangerous folks like the one of my grandparents' neighborhoods chasing his naked, fat 50-year-old wife with a huge axe through the street and other fun stuff of the 90s in Ukraine. <laughs> For me, it's nothing witty and traditional Russian curse, nothing smart and sophisticated. I chose not to use the words, and I want my son to have sweet memories of their mom and home, like a cozy, nice place where they hear kind voices. At the same time, I agree with you. I think in English, you can let all the fucks fly around. They seem to be so unharmful. Your listener from the Ukraine, Olga. Yeah, I think, uh, Olga, I think you're right. Uh, we Eastern blockers have a real gift for vulgarity. I mean, I, I agree. Fuck it to me is like, pfft, it's, not, it's not even a curse word. It's like, pfft, come on, dude, that that's offensive. Okay. Cause uh, I used to hear my father and my mother say stuff. I'm going to hit your head so hard. No, no I'm going to hit your face. I'm going to hit you basically so hard that your head's going to fall off. You know, your mother's a whore. The, the God fucks her and her ass. It's like, it's just Ishtan uh, Fas, God's dick, this and that. It's so, it's so much richer and colorful in the Eastern Bloc world um, that, it, yeah, in English, it's this kid stuff. You guys don't even nearly put enough emphasis on mothers and devils and gods and stuff. But uh, anyway, I like the idea of uh, what about swearing in front of your kids, Right. Um, I think that, yeah, it's obviously a personal choice. If you come from a background where nobody did swear, then yeah, don't, don't do it. It's not, it's not a priority for me personally. Uh, I don't know if I could become that person that doesn't swear. Uh, it's just so, it's so ingrained in me as a family. Like, like I said, my parents were just filthy Vulgarians. Everybody in my family is a lunatic Vulgarian, my husband, obviously, uh, we are derelicts. We are deviants. We are degenerates. And, and uh, you know, unfortunately, that's the uh, the tribe I belong to. <laughs> I can't change who I am just because I'm having children. But I do know that I hope that my son gets that I'm a good person and that I love him more than life itself. And I express that constantly to him. 
And I, you know, I think it's also one of those weird American things where people assume if you curse, you're a, you're bad, you're a bad person. It's like, well, not really. Cursing doesn't necessarily mean you're bad. It just means you're lazy, a little bit lazy with language. Uh, but, uh, I, I don't know. There, I do think there's a lot of puritanical stuff around cursing. Cursing. It's just a word. It's another word to say. and It's arbitrary to me philosophically. Uh, but also there's this idea of like, uh, am I going to be a perfect mom? Am I going to be June Cleaver? Am I going to change who I am to provide a, quote, perfect childhood for my kid? So he, he suffers the delusion that I'm some perfect, you know, uh, whatever. I, I can't do it. It's not going to happen, but here's what I am going to do. And this is, um, this is kind of my philosophy on all this stuff. I'm of the frame of mind that whatever you guys do in your own house, in the house, in the house is free reign, man. You want to, uh, let the fucks fly. Great. Uh, I let my kid pull out every pot and pan he wants and bang the shit out of it. He can throw sticky balls on the windows. Um, he can roll around and flower. He can uh, do whatever he wants in the house uh, within boundaries, within reason. I'm not saying anything, anything, no, but you know what I'm saying? Like if there's a place to let loose, it's in your own home. Now, that being said, there's the differentiation between uh, outdoors and indoors, society and home life. If we're in a restaurant, hell to the no. You better believe that kid's not going to be throwing stuff. He's going to be, you know, reasonably well-behaved as a two-year-old can be. And that's what we encourage, private versus public life. Those are two different places. So if we curse at home and he starts, he's going to start cursing. I know. I know. I've already taught him uh, sucks. This sucks, that phrase. Um, We just have to explain, hey, you don't say that in school. And that's kind of what I was taught as a child. Uh, I say, I could say whatever I wanted at home. I just knew I just learned not to do it at school because I went to religious school and I gathered that they didn't like that once I got wiffle paddled a couple of times for saying fuck during bingo as a kid. <sighs> yeah. What's the big fucking deal? I don't know. Poor Olga in the Ukraine. My God. My God. These Americans, they don't even know. Am I right, Olga? These soft Americans. Oh, it's so hard in this country. Is it? Is it? <laughs> uh, all right, let me see. Do I have time for one more? Let me see, mommy. Yeah, okay. You know what? I'm going to go dark a little bit on this one because I think it's kind of uh, importante. Oh, it's a sweet one. Okie dokily. This is from a lady, Lillian. I really appreciate talking about suicide in your last podcast. My grandfather committed suicide in November of 2012. He had suffered a stroke and felt like he was a burden on my grandmother. He left behind her three sons, their wives, and all six of his grandchildren. My parents, sister, and I live on the same 20-acre plot of land with them, and the rest of my family lives miles away. So obviously, we are all very close. While this happened, my fiancé, now husband, was in Afghanistan, so I was forced to face this all alone. I felt like my parents pushed me out so they could better comfort my 10-year-old sister. As our family was viewing my grandfather's body for the last time, I was the last person in line, and my parents walked off and forgot about me. Oh, my God. I was standing in front of his coffin, holding his hand, and sobbing in front of a church full of 300-plus people. My dad finally realized I was missing from the line and came to get me. His death was very tragic for myself and my entire family. My grandmother was, uh, has obviously suffered a great loss. I am really the only person she confides in about it because no one else will talk about it. My sister turned 16 this year and still has no idea what happened to our grandfather. She thinks he just got sick and passed away. I feel so compelled to sit her down and tell her the truth about what happened we are 10 years apart, but very close. But I feel like I need to talk to my parents first. What do you think I should do? I know it's terrible. My family doesn't talk about it, but I feel like that's nothing I can change. But I do feel like I can help my baby sister understand what happened. Okay. Lillian. Okay, so she's 16. You're 10 years apart. You're 26, and you want her to know what happened. She thinks he just got sick and passed away. Okay. You know... um. 
do you have to tell her the gory details just yet? Uh, then again, 16 is different in every kid. Is she a mature 16? Is she ready to hear that kind of stuff about, hey, guess what, granddad actually killed himself? Uh, <laughs> right? I mean, uh, my inclination is to let sleeping dogs lie until you know she is emotionally ready to handle the truth of that. Now, if you were to tell me she keeps asking, you know, my sister's like, what happened to granddad? I, I know it. I feel like something happened. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, then I would be like, yeah, just fucking tell her. Like I, I think children, I know 16 is not a child, but, uh, from what I understand, children can handle a lot of shit. Um, if you're very not, you know, you have to disclose every detail, but if you tell them stuff and you make it okay that it happened, I think that's how you diffuse this stuff. From what I understand, it's the secrecy and the not talking about the big issues that tend to screw people up. So what your parents are doing is exactly how you fuck up kids is when you don't talk about stuff and it's this quiet. We don't talk about granddad. We don't talk about the why, why I don't understand. I think it's, it's really important for a family to grieve together and to know that, yeah, mom and dad can cry about this and you can, then that gives you permission to cry about this it's normal that people are upset when something happens. Um, so yeah, is she curious? Is, is, uh, is she leading this thing? And I kind of, I, I might wait until she's curious and she feels like she she knows everybody knows on some level unconsciously when something like that goes down, if it's, you know, whispers and weird things, she, she'll figure it out. She'll come to you when she, the time is right. And uh, I, I would not go to my parents because they're not, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. Doesn't sound like they've uh, handled emotional life pretty well. Doesn't sound like they're equipped. Uh, that being said, if you think she can handle the truth of this thing, it's not going to screw up too badly. <sighs> Why? I don't know. I don't know. Don't tell her. Don't tell her unless you should, unless there's a need. Um, you know, or you sense that it, it would benefit her in some way and her grieving if she's, uh, if she, you know, but just to tell her for the sake of her knowing at this point, it's like, nah, why give her, give her a few more years. 16 still very young. And it's, it's pretty wild when you talk about suicide to a 16 year old, like, oof, it's too delicate, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that happened to you, kiddo. Don't talk to your parents. Do not talk to your... <laughs> I don't. I don't. Um, but yeah, when the time is right, sit her down and talk to her and tell her... I would tell her the truth. Uh, you know what? Granddad commits suicide. You know what that is. He was a very unhappy. He had a stroke and felt like he was a burden to the grandma. You could tell her that, right? And just tell her that you're here to listen to her after you tell her that. Cause that's really what's going to happen, right? She's going to freak out. She's not going to be happy about it. And just let her know that you're the, the person who's creating a space for her to feel safe around. That's really all you can do. Right. And that she can talk to you about it whenever she needs to. Cause that's what happens when you fucking people die and they die weird deaths and then the family doesn't address it. That's how kids get all screwy. You know, that's the fucking worst. It's like, Oh, never happened. Everything's fine. <laughs> What that no look over here. Everything's great. We're just totally we're totally normal. Like, okay. All right. Yeah, we'll do it that way, huh? No oh boy. No oh boy. Kids can handle the truth about stuff. They really can. <sighs> Anyways. Uh suicide. Let's close on that now. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> Ah, bros, it's all crazy. The world is so fucking nutty, isn't it? It's just so bananas. I don't even know what to make of it. The older I get, the less the less I really know. And it's it's like you, uh, I'm never surprised, and then I am. Right? You're simultaneously like there are so many messed up people walking this earth, man. Just damaged, broken, just warped, warped realities. And you're like, how do I? How do I protect my child from these psychos that are walking around? 
Oh, these psychos. Broken people, folks. That's why we all need to go to a shrinks, work it out, not become so broken. God damn it. All right. Uh, email me. That's deepropodcast at gmail.com. Uh, come see me do stand up on my live dates, Christina P online for tickets. And, uh, and that's it, dudes. All right, man. Until next week. That's been D bro. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with philosophize with It's Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party. Our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's tea, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.